0: How do you make major life decisions? What steps do you take? Christians use many different strategies to find an answer to that all important question What is God's will for my life? But what if God's will isn't lost? And what if He actually works in us so that we might walk in His will? Welcome to the Radical with David Platt podcast, the latest sermons from teacher, author, and pastor David Platt delivered weekly. As always, you can find thousands of more free resources at Radical.net, like our free daily Advent reading guide, To Us, A Son is Given. Advent begins next Sunday, December 3rd, and each day of our Advent guide offers you and your family the opportunity to gather around Scripture together. To download your free copy of To Us, A Son is Given, just visit Radical.net forward slash Advent. Well, in today's new sermon, titled with the important question, "How do I find God's will for my life?" David Platt encourages us from Acts chapter sixteen to align our lives with God's larger purposes in the world. If you have a Bible, and I hope you
1: or somebody around you does, you can look on with. Let me invite you to open with me to Acts chapter sixteen, which we've now heard read. Acts sixteen. How. Do I find God's will for my life? This may be the most commonly asked question in Western Christianity today. We make so many different decisions, ask so many questions that aren't specifically addressed in the Bible. Some of of those decisions and questions are small, like, what book should I read? What food should I eat? Should I eat in? Should I eat out? If I eat out, where does God want me to eat? Chinese? burgers, Italian, what do I do? What what do you do, what do you do in your house when your two-year-old is having a breakdown? What do you do when your 16-year-old is having a breakdown? What do you do when you are having a breakdown? And then other decisions and questions are larger, life-altering questions like, should I date? If so, who should I date? Should I get married? If so, who should I marry? Should I go to college? If so, where? What do I study? If I have a family or if I'm married, do I have kids? How many kids do we have? Where do we live? How do we live? There's so many decisions to make. We're always wondering, how do I know what God wants me to do? And we've come up with all kinds of methods for answering that question. We have the random finger method. So whenever you want to know God's will, just close your eyes, open the Bible at random, point down, and this is God's will. These had their appointed duty in their service as Israel, as the Lord God of Israel commanded them. All right, maybe that's not the best method uh, for discovering God's will. So we move on to the astonishing miracle method. So you look for a burning bush like Moses had and and, uh, an experience like he had or, or like a blinding light like Paul experienced. And that's how you find the will of God. The only problem here, though, is apparently it's not too common Like, how many of you have ever talked to a bush? At least one that talked back to you while it was on fire. And you've been walking down the road and you were blinded by a light and you couldn't see for days. Like, apparently, this is not God's most common method today. So we move on to the striking coincidence method. So, this method tells us to be on the lookout for striking coincidences that pop up and tell us what we should do. So, maybe you're in college and and you're trying to decide what to major in. You're trying to decide between English and math. And one night you go to bed and you wake up all of a sudden in the middle of the night and you turn over and you look at the clock and the clock says 2.22. And you're like, oh, that's strange. So you go to, back to sleep. The next night you go to bed, you wake up suddenly in the middle of the night, you look over the clock and this time it says 3.33. And you're like, whoa. So the next night, you go to bed with eager anticipation. Suddenly, in the middle of the night, you wake up, and you turn over, you look at the clock, and you'll never guess what it says. It says 444. So you roll over out of your bed on your knees. God has spoken. Math it is? (laughs) Or maybe God is saying you need to get some help with your snoring problems so you can sleep through the night. Or maybe you're that same college student. You're, you're walking down the sidewalk on your campus just thinking about the person God wants you to marry and, uh, and you're tired of this dating scene. God, just show me who you want me to marry. And imagine you're, you're walking down the sidewalk somebody's littered a red Coke can and you're just kicking the can and praying this. And then all of a sudden, it's a guy, you look up and you see this sea so circle of, of girls standing there and there's this one right in the middle. With a bright red shirt. And you think, red shirt, red cocaine. I was just praying. There she is, my future wife. So the list goes on. We have the cast the fleece method. I mean, this one's biblical, right? Gideon in the Bible. God, if you want me to do this, show me by doing that. Listen, we need to remember that there's a lot of things in the Bible that are not intended to be set up as examples for us. That story is actually intended to show us a lack of faith in Gideon. The reality is God had already made clear what Gideon was supposed to do. So testing God is probably not the best method. We move on to the still, small voice method. We think about Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19, when God speaks not through a fire or through an earthquake, but through a still, small voice. So the thinking is, when you've got a big decision to make, just listen. For a voice, and if it's still enough and small enough... Whatever that means, amidst all the other voices going through your mind when you're making a decision, then you know the will of God. Or maybe it's the open door method, which says that when God opens up an opportunity, it's obviously his will for you to take it. Problem is, there's times in the Bible when God opens opportunities for his people, but it's not not his will for them to walk through it. Or the other version is the closed door method. If a decision seems difficult, it's obviously not God's will for us to make it, because God would never want us to do anything difficult. This one may be one of the most dangerous because we've created a whole picture in Christianity today so focused on our comforts that we assume God would never call us to something uncomfortable when the reality is all throughout the New Testament, trouble and hardship and suffering and persecution are actually God's will for the spread of the gospel. So the point is, with good intentions, we've come up with all kinds of methods for finding God's will. But in the end, we still wonder if we really found it. So here's the question I want to ask today. What if God's will was never intended to be found? What if God isn't hiding it from us? What if we're not on some cosmic Easter egg hunt where God is saying, you're getting warmer and warmer, oh, colder now. What if God actually wants us to know and understand his will more than we even want to understand and know his will? What if the whole notion of trying to find God's will is more pagan than it is Christian? Because we actually have a God who loves us and desires for us not only to know his will, but to experience his will every moment, every day, and every decision we make. I have been so blessed, encouraged, studying this text this week. I could not wait to get here this weekend because I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you with one truth from this chapter, one truth that just bursts off the pages of the Bible. So let, let me give it to you. You might write it down, and then we're just going to unpack it step by step in a way that I hope will show you that you don't need to try and find God's will for your life because his will is not lost. Here's the truth. You might write it down, then we'll unpack it. As we walk with God... He directs the details of our lives for the accomplishment of his will and the spread of his worship in the world. So that's a mouthful. Let me say it one more time and then we'll unpack it step by step. As we walk with God, he directs the details of our lives for the accomplishment of his will and the spread of his worship in the world. So let's think about this story we just heard from Acts chapter 16. So end of Acts 15, we see the breakup between Paul and Barnabas. So now it's Paul and Silas. This is Paul's second missionary journey. So he and Silas set out to go and visit to strengthen the churches that Paul had already planted. Along the way in Lystra, Paul meets this young teenager named Timothy. Timothy joins the journey with them. Now, verses 6 through 10 are fascinating here in Acts 16, and history-making. One writer said, truly authentic turning points in history are few, but this is one of them. Because Paul and his team start heading one way toward the small province of Asia, not to be confused with the continent of Asia, and verse 6 says the Holy Spirit forbid them from going there. And then you look in verse 7, they start to go north to Bithynia, and the Bible says the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So they travel instead toward Troas, where Paul has a vision one night of a man from Macedonia saying, come over here and help us. And they conclude, that's where we're going. And just like that, the gospel starts heading toward Rome in a way that would totally change Europe for the next 2,000 years. This was a huge turning point in the book of Acts. And really, in history, the gospel could have spread at this point toward the continent of Asia, toward India. Instead, it starts spreading toward Europe, into Rome. And this decision would shape the face of Christianity from its very start. Much of the reason we have so much access to the gospel in the West today is because of this strategic moment in the New Testament. So Paul and his Teams set sail from Troas. They come to Philippi, this frontier Roman colony. The city of Philippi didn't even have a large enough Jewish presence to build a synagogue. So a few Jewish women would gather every Sabbath out at the riverside for prayer, for worship. Paul and his companions go out and join them and they share the gospel and a woman named Lydia believes it. She's baptized with her whole household and the church at Philippi is planted in her house. That leads to the story of a girl possessed by a demon being delivered from that demon. And though it doesn't state for sure in the text, most biblical scholars believe she came to faith in Christ. Her owners, though, were not happy with Paul and Silas. They dragged them before the officials where they stripped them of their clothes, they beat them with rods, and threw them into prison, fastened their feet in the stocks. And there Paul and Silas sat in a filthy dungeon, unable to sleep, Because of the pain they were in. So what did they do? They decided to perform a musical of worship. And ladies and gentlemen, they brought the house down. Literally, the earth quaked. God used it to bring a jailer, his entire household, to faith in Christ. And the next morning, Paul and Silas were released with the official's deepest apologies. It's quite a story. So, what is it teaching us? What is God's word teaching us here? Well, come back to that truth. We'll start with the first part. As we walk with God, he directs the details of our lives. So here's one of the things I love most about this passage. There's so much mystery here. Let I me mean, just think about it. How is this happening? Like, How did Paul know where to go and where not to go? So in verse 6, you look at it, the text said the Spirit forbid them from going toward the province of Asia. But how? Like, How did the Spirit do that? Was it an audible voice? was it just an impression a feeling was it something circumstantial like how did the spirit stop them then verse 7 says the spirit of jesus would not allow them to go to Bithynia. so how did he not allow them and the text doesn't say it just tells us god led them it doesn't tell us how he led them it's really interesting you see the whole trinity involved in this picture in verses 6 through 10 you look at it you see the holy spirit mentioned in verse 6 then you see the spirit of jesus the son in verse 7 and then you see in verse 10, Paul's conclusion, that God the Father had called them to preach the gospel in Macedonia. So God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God is directing every detail here. And it's not just the directions they're taking. When they go to the riverside to pray and they share the gospel with these women, did you notice verse 14? It doesn't just tell us that Lydia believed the gospel. Look at it. What does it say? It says, the Lord opened Lydia's heart to what was said by Paul. The Lord, God did this. In verse 18, it's in the name of Jesus that this girl is delivered from this demon. And then when Paul and Silas get to prison, who brings the earthquake? God does. So see this. God is directing every detail here, and he's doing it as his people, as Paul and his companions walk with him in obedience to him. So this is not Paul and Silas and Timothy just sitting back saying, where do you want us to go, God? What do you want us to do? They know what God wants them to do. God wants them to preach the gospel. God wants them to strengthen the church. There's people without Christ. There's cities without Christ. There's churches that need strengthening. There's disciples to be made and gospel to be spread. So Paul's doing it. He's obeying the commands of Christ. Even simple things. On a Sabbath day, he knows it is God's will for him to go and worship. Even in the middle of prison, he knows it's God's will for him to praise God in the middle of difficult circumstances. So that's exactly what he's doing. And it's in this context, so don't miss this. It's in the context of active obedience to God's commands that God is directing their steps. These guys are not sitting back passively wondering, what's God's will? They know God's will. And they're walking with God in it. And they're trusting God to direct their steps as they do. And the same exact thing is true about our lives as followers of Christ. As we walk with God, he directs the details of our lives. Think about it. Sure, there's all kinds of decisions you and I make every day all throughout our lives that we don't have a specific word in the Bible about what to do, where to go to school, what job to take, whether or not to marry, who to marry, where to live—this decision or that decision. There's so many things we don't know. At the same time, there, there are so many things we do know. We have God's will in God's Word. So here's a uh, here's a dependable method for finding the will of God for your life. I call it the Read Your Bible method. <laughs> it is God's will for you to be with Him in prayer. Guaranteed, the will of God. It is God's will for you to abide in his word, to read it and memorize it and study it, hide it in your heart, talk about it all the time. That is God's will. It is God's will for you to pursue righteousness and holiness. It is God's will for you and I to flee immorality and idolatry. It's God's will for you to love him with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And it is God's will for you to love your neighbor like you love yourself. It's God's will for you and I to care for the needy, to defend the weak, to help the powerless. It is God's will for you to make disciples who make disciples of all the nations. No Christian in this room needs to be sitting back, wondering about and waiting for God's will for your life. Oswald Chambers said the Christian should never ask the question, what is God's will for my life? And he used an illustration of walking through the woods. He said what's the only time when you're walking through the woods where you have to ask where the path is? The only time you have to ask where the path is is when you're off the path. So he encouraged Christians, just stay on the path every day. Walk with God in obedience to his word and he will lead you. A famous pastor named Adrian Rogers said, the way to find God's will for the rest of your life is to do God's will for the next 15 minutes. And as you walk with him, he will guide you. As you obey his commands, he will order your steps. Isn't this Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Just keep acknowledging him. Walk with him. And what will he do? He will make your path straight. Did you hear that promise? Acknowledge him, trust him, walk with him. And God is promising in his word to lead you and me, to guide us, to direct us, to make our paths straight, which makes sense. Think about it. God wants his will to be accomplished in our lives more than we do. Do you know how much God wants his will to be accomplished in your life? God wants his will to be accomplished in your life so much, Christian, that he has put his very spirit inside of you. It's an awesome thought. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. I don't knock you out of your seat if you really think about it. The Spirit of God is in you to lead and guide your thoughts, transform your desires, to affect your decisions. You think about Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed any longer to the power of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is why, so the Spirit in the Word, this is why, it's side note here, why being in the Bible every day, I mean, a I joke, kind of read your Bible method, but it's true. Being in your Bible every day, I would even say every morning, is so important. It's vital. If we want to, if we really want to know the will of God, then we need to be in the Word of God. For, for two reasons. One, these 66 books are, they contain the will of God for our lives. And the more we know His Word, the more we can walk in His will. It's sad to me pastorally and I have conversations with people who are saying they want to know God's will and the decision they're making in their lives over here, but over in this area, they're just directly disobeying God's will for their life. So if we're praying for God to show us his will in this or that area, but then we're living with our boyfriend or girlfriend over here, like we're missing the point. We don't we don't really want God's will if we're praying for God to show us his will but we're living in deliberate sin then we're kidding ourselves to convince ourselves that we really want to follow God before we think about specific guidance in this or that area of our lives we need to ask the question am I already doing what God has clearly told me in his word and then so yes even when it comes to decisions we make that aren't spelled out in the Bible like where to go to school where to take a job whether or not to move this or that the more we are in God's word, the more we will be in tune with God's voice in those decisions. Well, let me put it this way. If I were to get a call right now on my phone, imagine I was getting a call and I, wasn't, I didn't look down to see uh, the caller ID. I just picked it up, answered it, and said hello. And on the other end, uh, the first two words I heard were, hey, babe. Now, if that's the first two words I hear, let me tell you, what i'm not going to hear after that i'm not going to hear hey babe this is heather platt your wife of 18 years that's not what's coming next why not well because as soon as the words hey babe come through the the phone i know who this is like there's one person who calls me says hey babe and uh and I don't need her to identify herself. This is Heather. Heather Plot. Okay, Plot. Your wife of eighteen years. Oh yes, now I know. Yeah. Oh, it's good to talk to you. Like that's not the way that conversation goes. Because I'm familiar with how she speaks, and I know her voice when I hear it. You want to know the voice of God? Be in tune with the spirit of God. Be in the word of God. Get to know how he speaks. So let me put all this together. Let me put all this together with a story that I I think illustrates this truth. that As we walk with God, he directs the details of our lives. So uh, last week at this time, I was flying back from Germany on a plane. And on that plane, I was able to get online for the worship gathering here. So I was worshiping with you guys from 40,000 feet above the Atlantic. And I was sitting there listening to Dale preach and trying to stay awake. And, oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dale, I know he's in the back somewhere of this service. like, I mean, it wasn't even in the manuscript, brother. I just, uh, it's just too irresistible. So, uh, anyway. Uh... <laughs> Jet lag. So, uh, so anyway, I'm sitting, there in all this series, I'm sitting there listening to Dale preach. And he's sharing stories of how God has directed this church and blessed this church and led this church in all these ways. And he shared at one point how he and I had connected, which has led to me filling in as an interim teaching pastor during this time. I want to tell you my side of that story. So about two and a half years ago, I, I left pastoring a church that I love a lot to lead a missions organization that is focused on mobilizing 40,000 churches to get the gospel around the world. But over the last two and a half years, I've really missed pastoral preaching. So I preach a lot in and out of different churches, but I've missed walking through the word with the church for even just more than one Sunday in this kind of way. And all last year, for months, I was wrestling with that, and God just wasn't taking away that desire. To be a part of, just a part of shepherding his church through preaching his word. And long story short, it all came to a head in uh, late December. I was preaching at a college conference in Indianapolis. And one morning I I woke up, went to my quiet time with the Lord, and I was wrestling with this on a whole other level, just asking God, why do I have this desire? the next morning I got up, and that day in my Bible reading plan, I just so happened to be in 2 Chronicles 34, which is when Josiah uncovers the book of the law, and he he proclaims it in front of the people, and uh, and revival starts to break out, and they start to walk through the implications of that together, and uh, my devotional that day just said, the urgent need in any day is for leaders among God's people who will stand up and proclaim God's word and help them to obey it. So in light of all that I was wrestling with, I just said, all right, that's it. Like, the word is clear. So what, what does this mean? I'm, I'm home most of my Sundays. Where, so where can I preach the word pastorally just more than one week in a way that serves a church, even though I'm not able to give all my time to that during the week because of leading the IMB, this mission organization? So I thought, are there any churches within driving distance where, from, from where I live that have already asked me to preach one week where I could just say, hey, if you ever have two weeks, I'm open. So at that moment, McLean just so happened to come to my mind. Dale had contacted me a few months before and had asked me to preach one weekend this next summer. So truth be told, I just looked at the Nats' schedule, figured out a weekend when they were in town and chose that one (laughs) and said, yeah, I'll come to D.C. for that weekend, just keeping it real. Uh, So... uh, (laughs) <laughs> but then there's there's other churches near nearby too. So the other reason McLean came to mind and. Uh... Not that I'm proud of the announced thing, but I'm really not proud of this part. But I'm a bit hesitant to share it with you. But it's part of the story how God worked in all of this. So why did McLean come to my mind? Well, on Christmas Eve, so a few days before I was having this quiet time, my family and I were up in D.C. We've kind of made it a tradition the last couple of years to spend uh, Christmas Eve in D.C. So we were in the district. We were about to drive out to a church service on our way home. And I'd put the address For the church, in my phone, I was looking at the directions when I looked up and saw the traffic light turn yellow and then red as I went under it. And I just so happened at that moment to be on Constitution Avenue, right behind the White House. So all of a sudden, I found myself pulled over by the Secret Service. I had one guy behind me, I had two guys flanking me on the right and left side of the car. I'm telling my kids to stay calm. Daddy's just gonna have a conversation with some nice men. Uh, They immediately asked me to roll my windows down so they can see in the back, so I roll them down. There's my four-year-old smiling and waving along with my six and nine and 10-year-old. Merry Christmas, so here's the Platt family. Uh, the guy, the guy takes my information, and he goes back to his car, and while he's looking at it, the Secret Service officer on the passenger side over here starts a conversation with us, and he says, where are you guys going? So ashamed, I say, we're going to church, and uh, I wanted to make the most of the time, so I said to him, do you go to church anywhere? And uh, he, said, he said, yeah. He said, I actually used to be on, on staff at a church in this area. I said, really? Which one? He said, "McLean Bible Church," and without thinking, I just said, "Well, that's interesting. I preached there about a, a year ago." It's one of those things that, you, as you say, you're pretty ashamed to say in this car with blue lights all around you. And so, he he paused for a minute and he looked at me. He said, "What's your name?" I said, "David Platt." He said, "I've read your books, man." Now I'm feeling really bad. I'm like, I'm so sorry we're meeting this way. He said, I can't wait to tell my family tonight that I met you. I'm like, please don't do that. So anyway, I share all that story to say that's the reason McLean was even on my mind a few days later when I'm having this quiet time, thinking about churches. So all of that leads me to then write a two-sentence email to Dale that just said, hey, this may seem totally out of left field. I just want you to know. I know I'm scheduled to preach up there one time next year. If you need two, if that would help you guys in any way, just let me know. And 30 minutes later, he calls me back and he says, you don't understand, we're Obviously, you have no idea, but we're about to walk through this transition. We've been praying for somebody to potentially help in preaching during this transition. So, I look at that, and I stand here a few months later just totally overwhelmed by the opportunity to open God's word with you during these months in a way that I hope is helpful in the midst of this transition, in a way that I just say, I didn't mean nobody manufactured that. As we walk with God, he directs the details of our lives in a way that we never could have planned. You know, I was, I was at that college conference, and the worship leader uh, at one point just said to these thousands of college students, musical worship leaders, he said, let's just pause for a moment, and let's just reflect on God's faithfulness in our lives. And I'm standing there in the front row, and it only takes a few seconds. Tears just start coming to my eyes because I start thinking back when I was in college. I think about all the years since then what God has done. And I think, I never could have planned the steps the Lord has taken me on. And he has been so faithful in the middle of them all. Amen. As we walk with God, he directs the details of our lives. Amen. Now, I... Uh, I want to be clear. We all know that none of this means this is easy. None of this means that God always directs the details of our lives in a way that always makes sense to us. So come back to this truth in this text. As we walk with God, he directs the details of our lives for the accomplishment of his will. And this is where we've just got to remember that this whole thing is about the accomplishment of his will not ours. Paul had what I'm guessing he thought were pretty good plans for his second missionary journey. And over and over again, God was messing his plans up. Has God ever messed up your plans in ways that were not easy? Don't miss it. God directed the details of Paul's life all the way to prison. The details of God's direction for Paul and Silas included them being stripped of their clothes and beaten to a pulp. You know, we say things today like, the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. Brothers and sisters, the most dangerous place to be may be in the center of God's will. Lord willing, this time next week, I'll be in the mountains of Nepal among... Very impoverished men, women and their families who've never heard the gospel. And quite frankly, if all we're looking for is ease and comfort and safety when it comes to God's will, then we'll never get the gospel to those people. In Acts 16, God is directing in ways that Paul doesn't always understand and the same will be true in our lives. There's a whole other sermon, a lot of sermons here on suffering and the sovereignty of God. Maybe another day, but there's clearly mystery When it comes to how God directs the details of our lives in ways that are not easy, in ways that can be hard and painful. But that's another one of the things I love about Acts 16 because they're Paul and Silas. They sit in chains, and this was their chance. This was their chance to say, God, why did you lead us here? To ask, God, is this really your good plan for our lives? But that's not what they're doing. What are they doing? They're singing and worship and that's the end of this truth we're talking about that's the point of this text we're looking at as we walk with God he directs the details of our lives for the accomplishment of his will and the spread of his worship around the world in other words this is the will of God the spread of his worship around the world so sure things didn't go as Paul planned from his perspective But do this, just picture Philippi at the beginning of Acts 16 from God's perspective. This frontier city in a Roman colony, every Sabbath there's a few Jewish women who go out to pray at the riverside, but they've never heard of Jesus, they never heard how they can be saved from their sins. Every day there's a precious little girl possessed by a demon who's basically been prostituted out for money by a group of greedy men every day there's a jailer quietly standing guard and he and his family have never heard the good news of a God who loves them so God takes two men, Paul and Silas he directs their path toward a teenager named Timothy and together like they're in a pinball game, they go from place to place where God keeps redirecting them in ways they had not planned ultimately to a city they never thought they'd go to where they find themselves one day by a riverside with these few women And then one day, meeting this little girl. And then in a way they never would have wanted, they meet that jailer and his wife and their kids. And by the end of the chapter, you have a church planted in Philippi. A church that we know from Paul's letter later to them would grow and flourish for the glory of God. God was directing all the details, every single detail in this chapter for the spread of his worship around the world. And... This is so key. Please, please, please hear this. Once we understand what Acts 16 is teaching us, we realize that the question is no longer, God, what is your will for my life? What is your will for my life? As if the universe revolves around my life. Or your life. And what's most important is God's will for our lives. No, once we understand Acts 16, we realize the question is no longer, God, what is your will for my life? The question is now, God, what is your will in the world? And how can I align my life with it? You see this? You see how little sense it makes? to wonder what the will of God is. I was in a meeting yesterday afternoon with leaders in this community talking about how there's 115,000 Vietnamese in the DMV area, 80,000 Nepalese, 45,000 Thai and Laotians, 15,000 Cambodians, 10,000 Bhutanese, 5,000 Mongolians, and 98, 99% of those people are apart from Christ. I was in another meeting last night talking about poverty in D.C. We were talking specifically about the thousands of kids in the foster care system without a stable home right around this area. You put that on top of the realities of urgent spiritual and physical need around the world and in light of all of this, all the need around us, it just doesn't make a lot of sense for our most common question to be, what do you want me to do, God? God has said what he wants his people to do, what he wants us to do. God's will in this world is for his people to exalt him as the good, gracious, just, loving Savior King who deserves all praise from all people and peoples on the planet. So let's stop asking, how can I find your will? And let's start start praying, God, I want to align with your will. God, this week... I want to walk with you. I want to show your goodness. I want to share your grace. This week, I want to share your gospel. I know that is your will. I want to show your justice and your mercy and your love. So say to God, I'm putting aside my agenda, my plans, my ideas, my wants, my will, and even my questions about why this or that is happening. And I'm saying this week, I want to to walk with you. And I want to worship you in a way that spreads your glory among the people around me, in my home, in my neighborhood, my workplace, my community, my city, wherever you might lead me in the world. This is the will of God, brothers and sisters, and there is no need for you to find it. Instead, your greatest need is to walk in it and to trust that as you do, he will direct your steps for the accomplishment of his will and the spread of his worship in the world in ways far beyond what you ever could have planned or imagined so how does this text then lead us to respond so two particular ways come to mind one is for those of you who are here, other campuses, who are in this worship gathering, and you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ. You've never said to God, I want you to lead my life. I need you to forgive me my sins, reconcile me to yourself, and lead me. And if that's you, oh, I hope you see that today God has directed the details of your life so that you're sitting here right now hearing the good news of a God who loves you. He loves you so much. He wills for you to know him to enjoy him, to be saved from all your sins. You say, how can I be saved from my sins? Acts sixteen thirty one. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Today, you can be saved from all your sins through faith in Christ. And I invite you to see that God has brought you here to come to that decision today. Amen. And then... Second, for those of you who have made that decision, you have trusted in Jesus. you put your faith in him. My exhortation to you, based on the authority of God's word today, for all have put your faith in Jesus, walk with faith in Jesus. Like this week, walk with God in obedience to his commands. And as you obey his commands, trust him to order your steps to lead and guide you for the accomplishment of his will and the spread of his worship in the world. So today to say in a fresh way, God, I just, I want to walk with you. I want to obey your will. To look at areas of your life where he has spoken in his word, where maybe you are not obeying his will say, I want to follow you, and as I do, I'm going to trust you, even amidst the things I just think about. And all the people who are involved in this gathering, the different circumstances and challenges that people are walking through, just to say, God, I'm going to trust you with the details of my life. I'm going to sing in worship, and I'm going to walk in obedience, and I'm going to trust
0: you. Thanks for joining us today on Radical with David Platt. As always, you can find thousands of free gospel-equipping resources at Radical.net. And please don't forget to subscribe to our daily podcast with David Platt called Pray the Word. It's available through iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. We just passed our 100th episode. And we're so grateful for all of the positive reviews and feedback. Thank you. And also, don't forget to download your free copy of our daily Advent guide, To Us, A Son is Given, which you can do so by visiting radical.net forward slash advent. I'm your host, Thomas Bowen. And until next time, join us over at radical.net.